Welcome to Environment Deep Dive, a series from the Civil Service Environment Network. Through this series, we aim to explain and explore the biggest issues in environmental policy, talking to experts on topics across climate change, sustainable development, natural resources, and biodiversity and ecosystems. So hello, and welcome to this episode of CSEN Environment Deep Dive. Today, we'll be exploring the topic of green prescribing, what this concept is, examples of it in practice, and also what the future holds. Um, I'm excited to be joined by two experts in this area, Sam Alford and Helen Holmes. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Sam and Helen. Would you both like to just briefly introduce yourselves and what it is that you do? Um, let's start with Sam. Okay, thanks very much, Justine. Uh, I'm Sam Alford and I'm the Green Social Prescribing Programme Manager working for NHS England. And I have a responsibility on this programme to work to support the development of the test and learn sites within the programme. Thanks, Sam. Lovely to have you. And Helen? Yeah, hi. Um, I'm Helen Holmes. I work in DEFRA. I jointly lead the Access and Engagement with Nature team. Um, and one of the projects we deliver in that team is the Green Social Prescribing Project. So my role on it is kind of more on the kind of overall governance and program management type thing across the three different work streams. So there's we can get into those that a bit later, maybe. Thanks. It's um, great to have you both. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So let's start with a really basic question. Can you tell us what green prescribing actually is? Okay, so I'm happy to um, address that. So probably before I talk about green social prescribing, it would be really good to set it within the context of wider social prescribing because green social prescribing is a subset of that. So social prescribing is one of the ways in which the NHS is going to deliver personalised care. And um, social prescribing link workers are non-clinical staff who are funded by the NHS who work in uh, GP practices or they might work to a number of GP practices. Um, doctors and nurses and other members of the primary healthcare team are able to refer their patients to social prescribing link workers so that they can get some help to deal with some of the other practical, emotional and social problems that we all know can impact on our health and our well-being. So it might be dealing with a housing problem, for example. And the social prescribing link worker has a conversation with the person about what is important to them, so what matters to them, and then connects them up with other services in the community, so activities and other services, etc. So green social prescribing is about connecting people to nature-based activities and interventions that will improve their health and their well-being. And on this programme, we're particularly focused around um, mental health and well-being. So would you be able to give examples of specific activities or initiatives that people might be doing as part of green prescribing? Yeah, absolutely. So it's quite a wide range um, of activities based in nature. So it might be a walking scheme or it might be a horticulture scheme, people sort of growing uh, fruit and vegetables, um, you know, and flowers, etc. Forest bathing and mindfulness outside. Uh, it might be art activities and using natural materials, for example, to make artworks with, um, and even blue activities as well. So we have some stand-up paddleboarding and kayaking type activities and storytelling sort of along the canal banks in uh, Nottingham, for example. So a broad range. Great. Thank you for that explanation. And is green social, social prescribing a new phenomenon? Has it been going on for a while? How has it sort of emerged as a practice? 
Um, I think we all recognise that nature-based interventions can benefit health and well-being and there is quite a lot of research that backs it up and we know that a lot of people turn to nature to help them cope during the period of lockdown within the pandemic as well. So I don't think that the practice of engaging with nature, connecting with nature to make us feel better about our lives and about our health is new particularly, but this particular approach is bringing together social prescribing and green activities in a very particular way and trying to bring health and the environment sector much more closely together so that we can improve people's mental health and their lives. Great and um, you've mentioned the benefits to mental health that this approach can have. Are there any sort of other conditions or problems or issues that this programme helps people with beyond kind of mental health? Yeah, absolutely. Again, lots of research, you know, lots of physical um, health benefits as well to being outdoors. You know, gardening's uh, a proven activity to kind of increase uh, physical activity, to um, improve sort of stamina, help people sleep better. So it's myriad health benefits to being outdoors and engaging with nature. Great. And on the flip side, does this green prescribing approach help nature in turn, are there any sort of benefits that it's it's bringing about? You know, you mentioned things like gardening. Um, how is it sort of helping nature? Yeah, so I think that there definitely are positive impacts on nature as well. There's, there can be direct impacts to so some of the activities that people might do through green social prescribing are kind of conservation activities, so things like tree planting, um, you know, litter picking, things like that. So there's that kind of benefit. But then there's also the indirect benefit of getting people out, connecting with nature who might not have done that before or not or not so much and we know that people don't people won't protect nature if they don't care about it so we think there's a real benefit in that sense as well if you get people to understand all the benefits that nature can have for our mental and physical health and people will be encouraged to to preserve what we've got Mm, great so it works both ways and um Helen you mentioned just there about how you know some people might have traditionally had less access to nature what are the kind of challenges in this green prescribing approach? Because obviously it relies on people accessing nature, but obviously we know not everyone, um, particularly people living in urban areas, necessarily have a lot of access to, to green space. So how does it work in communities like that? Yeah, so I think that there's a practical challenge about if people are living in areas that don't have great access to green space, but there are also barriers in terms of people maybe not feeling that nature is for them or it's not something that they're interested in. And that's something that um, the programme can really help with uh, because it's kind of giving people the confidence to try it and get out there. There's practical things we can do as well. Um, So Sam might be able to um, give a bit more detail about this, but there's things where we can... um, personal health budgets so somebody if they want that they want to get involved but they don't have the funding for any you know walking boots or something like that so we can help them in a practical sense um, and then there's also work about yeah kind of the barriers to trying to kind of explain why nature is good for your mental health and explain why people should give it a go and in, in urban spaces there's lots of stuff going on across government to try and bring more green space to areas that are green space deprived and incru- improve the quality as well of what's already there. And if I could just come in there as well, um, Helen and Justine, I think it's really interesting approach that some of our test and learn sites have taken. So um, they're very committed to trying to provide opportunities for people in their local communities. And I think some work that's been going on in Greater Manchester is a great example of that because they're 
absolutely delivering green social prescribing activities within the network of local parks with across Greater Manchester. So they very much want people to be able to go to something without having to go to great lengths, that they can access something by public transport because proximity and being able to physically get to something you know, are really important. They're kind of key barriers that we find for people. And then some of the other schemes have also been looking at um, how do they support people to feel more confident actually to go along? You know, we all know that it's quite difficult sometimes to go into something new, join a club for the first time. So they're um, looking at how they can find buddies who will support people to go along to something for the first time. And in some cases, social prescribing workers are able to go along with somebody for the first time. That's really interesting. Thanks. And um, just to kind of touch on one of the other potential benefits of green social prescribing, do you think it's the case that it will kind of be relieving pressure on the NHS or potentially saving money in the health service if people are kind of being supported through green prescribing initiatives? Yeah, I mean, what we're hoping is that if we embed green social prescribing um, within the NHS, we're able to offer more cho choice to people people. So there's um, a wider range of services which people could take up um, to support their mental health and bought it in a way that might make sense to them. Um, obviously, it will be offered alongside traditional treatments such as medication. And we hope that if we can connect more people to green social prescribing within their communities and offer that accessible way to improve their mental health, it will start to reduce the pressure on primary care. So hopefully people won't be going back to their GP as free frequently because they're connected into um, a community sort of within its own right. And obviously a core part of the programme objectives are to reduce pressure on primary care. And part of our evaluation for the programme is going to be looking at value for money. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to say, Helen, about the evaluation. Yeah, no, just, just to echo that really, that it's a key part of the evaluation. We know that we know that green social prescribing is a good thing to do and it has real benefits for people, but we know that if we can make the value for money case as well, that will that will really strengthen um, support for green social prescribing. So it's a key part of what the evaluation is looking at, is trying to is trying to show where this delivers value for money and how it can do that. Fantastic. Um, so thanks both. That's given us a really clear understanding of what green prescribing is um, and how it works and the benefits and the challenges. Um, it'd be really great if next we could talk about an example of it in practice. So obviously you're both involved in this um, specific green prescribing project. Could you maybe tell us a bit about how that started and what the project involves? Yeah, sure. So the idea for the project was actually um, sort of pre-COVID and it was partly kind of um, set up because um, of this Shared Outcomes Fund, which is a Treasury-led fund. And it's basically the idea of it is to um, help with issues that cross multiple government departments. And Green Social Prescribing is a really good example of that. Obviously, you've got DEFRA, you've got DHSC, you've got NHS England, but and also other government departments. So um, what MHCLG as it was then. Um, with Sport England are one of our partners, um, NASP, NASP, the National Academy for Social Prescribing are one of our partners. So it really is quite a cross-cutting one. And that is great, but it can make it quite difficult to get programs like this up and running because, because it is so cross-departmental. Um, um, so the idea for it, as I said, was, was pre-COVID, uh, but then when the pandemic hit, it kind of got put on pause a little bit. Um, but then as kind of things developed in the pandemic and people realised actually this is exactly the kind of thing that we should be doing with the pandemic. We 
you know, we all remember the stage where the only thing you could do was um, go to the park. And that was that got people interested in this kind of activity that who weren't interested before. And we thought, actually, this is a really good t- time to capitalize on that kind of um, keenness amongst the public. So that's kind of where it started from. And in terms of what the program is kind of made up of, there's three key work streams within the program. So there's the test and learn sites. There are seven test and learn sites um, across England. They're being used as sort of pilot sites, really. And that's what Sam is leading on. Then we've also got the evaluation, which I mentioned before, which is looking at primarily at the test and learn sites. So trying to look at what's been the impact for people of green social prescribing and also how do we actually do it? So how do we embed this change in systems and then the other work stream is led by um, department for health and that's about we call it the national research work stream so that's looking both at the kind of clinical evidence for green social prescribing so to what extent can we prove that it works and also looking at perceptions so we mentioned barriers a little bit earlier so what are public perceptions of green social prescribing do people support it and that goes for the general public but also for, for clinicians as well because we know um, in some cases there can be cynicism so we want to kind of investigate to what extent that can be a barrier as well. That sounds like a really interesting initiative. Can you tell us what um, progress has been made so far with with the projects? What's kind of happening on the ground? What have been kind of key findings or key highlights? So, I mean, one of the core things about this programme was to really encourage the sites to work with local people and local healthcare professionals and local green providers and to take a very co-designed sort of type approach to this programme. So they've worked really hard to engage a wide range of people. And we've also been asking them to reach out um, to work with communities who don't necessarily use traditional services and who sometimes are quite often excluded from these types of opportunities or might not see these as opportunities that are for them. So they've done a lot of co-design work and this has led to them shaping the programme that they're going to deliver in their local areas. And um, it's also informed some grant criteria. And then they've um, had grant decision-making panels who are made up of people who've been involved in that co-design. So members of the public, people with lived experience of mental ill health, for example, um, people from uh, the green sector and um, health colleagues as well. So it's been a very collaborative approach and that's been really important in terms of building some of those relationships because essentially this program is about bringing health and environment together more closely, building those relationships, building trust so that we know who the right people are to refer to these services and that appropriate referrals are made and it happens easily and quickly for the people who will benefit from those services. And there's been lots of challenges along the way. You know, we all have different perspectives. We have different backgrounds. We use different language. So there's been lots of things that we've had to thrash out between us to um, move things forward. I don't know if you'd like to add anything, Helen. Yeah, I could just add kind of so on the other work streams that I mentioned, so the evaluation and the national research. So with the evaluation, um, we've got our evaluation team in place and they're making really good progress with engaging with the test and learn sites. So one of the big challenges for this program is around data. So that can be quite patchy or quite inconsistent. And we're also quite reliant on green um, activity providers to provide data. And often they're not they're not set up to do that. So that's been a big challenge so far. But the evaluation team are working really closely with the test and learn sites um, to understand what's possible in terms of data collection and get those systems set up because we want to make sure that we've got as strong an evidence base as we possibly can by the end of this this project. 
Um, and then on the national research side, that's kind of just kicking off really, but we are starting to look at what are the perceptions um, of different groups. Um, and we've got the clinical research studies uh, are hopefully shortly to be um, announced. So that's really exciting as well. And I think just to kind of add to that, we're um, bringing lots of different people together who don't normally work together and they're having conversations that they don't normally have. So, you know, there are some inherent challenges associated with that, but it's actually leading to some really rich learning and changes in the way that people work and, and do things together. Absolutely. And can you maybe talk a bit more on those kind of challenges that you've encountered? Um, I know at the outset you were mentioning about the need to collaborate across governments, which um, can obviously be difficult when there are so many people involved. Could you talk maybe a bit about the challenges there and how you've worked through them or other challenges you've encountered on the ground? So in terms of the collaboration side, maybe I can speak to that. I think that it has been challenging working with so many partners. It's there are practical challenges in terms of just making sure that everyone's kept in the loop and everyone's aware of what everyone else is doing, but without getting to the point where it's overwhelming and you can't you can't breathe for meetings and emails. So there's been challenges in that sense as well. But then also, like Sam mentioned, just just the language and the shared understanding. So what I would expect for a governance structure within DEFRA isn't necessarily shared um, with other government departments. So there's been challenges like that as well. But I think that the, the great thing about this project is that everybody who works on it really, really cares about it and wants it to work. Everybody believes it's a fantastic initiative and wants to get the results uh, that, we, that we're aiming for by the end of the programme. So I think that's the kind of goodwill behind it has really helped us to collaborate. And we've worked together really well, I think, to overcome some of those challenges. Yeah, I would agree. I think that um, particularly the, the fact that we haven't been able to meet as a team and do some of those team building and getting to know your activities, that's been an additional challenge really in the context of the pandemic. But, um, you know, lots of time that we spent together online and uh, thrashing out sort of our understanding and, and building our relationships, our working relationships together has been really helpful. Absolutely. They sound like really challenging circumstances, but it sounds like you're overcoming them really well. And um, in terms of kind of results of the programme, is it too early for you to be um, able to evidence the successes that it's had? I know, Helen, you mentioned some evaluation work. Are there any kind of results that you can tell us at this stage of how successful it's been? I think it's a bit early to be able to share sort of backed up evaluation results. So we are looking to publish a light touch version of our interim report um, in April, um, followed by a fuller one in September, and then the full evaluation report will follow in 2023. And we know that, that those will be really robust in helping prove what we've done here. I think what we can say, though, is that with, there's some really nice examples on the ground where we can see the difference that it's making already to individuals. So although that might not be backed up necessarily by the findings just yet, I think we're quite confident that we will be able to show something really positive from the programme. Great. And we'll keep an eye out for those reports. It'll be really interesting to see the full findings. And um, can you tell us what is the future of this programme for sort of coming years? How long do you think it's going to last? What's the kind of um, next steps for it? My, my view is that this programme is just the beginning. We're really passionate as a team. We want green social prescribing to be offered to everybody um, wherever they are in the country in the future as a way to support their mental health and their well-being and uh, wider well-being, their physical well-being as well. Um, and this programme itself is a two-year programme, so that will come to an end at the end of March 2023, so next year. But we see it as a way of just uh, kick-starting 
a wider process of change. And um, that's changes associated with how we think about um, mental ill health and changes in terms of what types of services we can offer to support people's mental health, but also changes in kind of culture and practice that go with that to enable us to scale it. The aim is to scale the programme and have it embedded within every integrated care system um, in the future. We're kind of thinking about that now. So we're really determined that this isn't something where the funding dries up and all the initiatives that have been kicked off through that funding end up having to close as well. We're thinking now about how to make sure that this is a lasting change that's really embedded and it's not something where it's just just a project that was great while it lasted, but eventually comes to an end. That's great. Thank you. And it's really interesting to hear about this kind of example of green prescribing on the ground and hopefully um, gathering a lot of evidence for the concept too. So I think we're coming towards the end of our conversation. And to wrap up, it would be really interesting to hear both of your views on sort of what's next for green prescribing as a concept generally. Um, So do you want to kind of give your take on, on what you think the future is for green prescribing? Is it something we're going to see more of, less of? What's your view? I think it's definitely something that's going to grow. I think that there's never been stronger awareness than there is now of the benefits of nature for mental health and well-being, not just green social prescribing, but just access to nature generally. And there's so much work going on to support that. So I think that green social prescribing will grow. And I hope that this project will be a really crucial part of allowing that growth to happen. And final question, um, what would you like civil servants or policymakers to take away from um, from this conversation specifically? Or is there anything you'd like them to do differently in relation to green prescribing to help sort of facilitate that as, as a concept? So I suppose there's a number of things. Um, from a health perspective, we'd always ask that social prescribing is considered um, as a potential solution uh, whenever you're thinking about policy changes or thinking about de- designing and delivering new services, that social prescribing could be considered as part of that. And obviously, by extension, um, you know, green social prescribing, and we would very much like to see green social prescribing embedded within that menu of mental health support options and treatment options in the future. Um, And then also, obviously, we would ask that you continue to support the development of green space and green infrastructure so everybody has really easy access to it. So that's critically important. And then also to help us find more sustainable ways to invest in the voluntary community and social enterprise sector so that we can continue to develop those really innovative partnerships like the Green Social Prescribing Programme is allowing us to do. I think another really important thing to consider is when work is going on to improve the environment or tackle climate change or whatever it is, that's obviously extremely important in its own right. But I think it's also really important to build in how people can learn about that and get to see that and access that. And are there opportunities for green social prescribing to be built into what you're doing? So, for example, um, volunteering opportunities or chances to go out and experience what's happening on the ground, because I think Going back to what I said at the beginning, people only care about what they know about. So being able to allow people to connect with nature is the first step in making sure that we support it for the future. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I think that's definitely given us a lot to think about. And thank you both so much for taking the time to explain green prescribing to us today. Um, it's been a really, really interesting conversation. So thank you very both very much. Thank you.
Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this Environment Deep Dive. You can head to CSUN online for more content, events, and networking opportunities. Make sure to subscribe to us on Twitter, YouTube, and your favorite podcast app, so you can keep an eye out for new episodes coming soon.